Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here is the one, the only, Dr. History. Good morning, Seb. How you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, good. Sun's shining. It's, the wind's not blowing. Hey, things are looking good. Yeah, but wait till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hearing. You know, you've had some outstanding stories as of late, and you never let us down. And uh, what are we going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about Fort Walla Walla, Washington, and an incident that took place up there. Oh, I've been there many, many times. Yeah, not too far from us here. but yep. So we're going to start off. Um, it's April of 1891. And picture this. There's a lot of madness and anger that was among the troops, uh, members of Troop D, 4th U.S. Cavalry at Fort Walla Walla, Washington, because one of their own, Private Emmett L. Miller, lay dying in the post hospital on April 23, 1891. The previous evening, gambler A.J. Hunt had shot Miller at a place called Rosa's Saloon in town, and now Sheriff McFarland had the suspect, Hunt, at Miller's bedside, and Miller identified the gambler mm. as the guy that had shot him. Oh, boy. Now, Miller's comrades were in no mood to show mercy. Uh, while Sheriff McFarland, a deputy, and a notary public were uh, taking Miller's statement, a drunk soldier walked up to the driver of the, the sheriff's buggy at the main gate of the post, and the loudmouth soldier bragged that 50 cavalrymen were hidden beyond the gate, ready to ambush the party on its return to town. Wow. Now, the driver informed the sheriff, uh, McFarland, who wisely asked the post commander, Colonel Compton, for an armed escort. And Colonel Compton ordered the officer of the day and five members of the guard detachment to accompany the sheriff and his prisoner into town. Well, soon after the sheriff's party passed the gate, there was some kind of shadowy figures that came out from either side of the road. Uh, the buggy stopped, and the officer of the day, this Captain Wint, asked what they wanted. Well, a spokesman demanded Hunt, the guy, the killer, the shooter, to be turned over to them. Well, they were badly outnumbered, and Wint told the driver to turn around and make a dash for the guardhouse. So the driver complied, and they took off with the mob in hot pursuit. And once inside, Sheriff McFarland asked again Colonel Compton whether the prisoner might be detained in the guardhouse until morning. But the colonel, he was kind of anxious to avoid a confrontation on the post, so he offered a 25-man escort to accompany them back to town. Mm. Now, the sheriff and a larger escort party now made it to Walla Walla without any problems. But the tensions flared the next morning as word of the failed attempt to snatch the gamblers spread throughout town. And a lot of the citizens speculated that uh, Miller's angry soldier friends would again try to get their hands on Hunt. And as a precaution, Sheriff McFarland deputized six additional men, all heavily armed, and posted them at the jail. Now... You know, vigilante groups were common enough in the Wild West. We've talked about that before. They, you know, the working class and the rural populations, uh, particularly, they kind of advocated a kind of a rough justice. You know, they hung a few people up that probably needed it, and, and maybe a few that didn't. 
but, uh, you know, these generally upstanding people believe true justice was uh, vested in the citizens and was to be administered uh, as such. Well, mob action, however, was not commonplace in the regular army, which, you know, they had strict discipline. Uh, they adhered to the law and avoiding any involvement in citizen or civilian matters because uh, they didn't have any authorization. But anyway, what mob action existed among the regulars, the army, can be distinguished from that of civilians by a subtle factor best described as, quote, the honor of the cloth. In other words, have you heard that term? We, we take care of our own? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. But the military experience instilled in men a sense of group loyalty, uh, such that an offense uh, by civilians against even a single soldier could spark a pretty good reaction by the troops. And, for example, at Fort Davis, Texas, in 1860, members of the 8th Infantry hanged a civilian who had murdered one of their comrades during a drunken fight. Well, and, and in 1881, 10th Cavalry at Fort Concho rebelled and shot up a local hotel in nearby San Angelo in revenge for the ceaseless or senseless murder of a fellow trooper. So now, in a typically kind of quiet little town of Walla Walla in 1891, the 4th Cavalrymen readied themselves for um, uh, a little help uh, with the murder, this murder, this hunt guy that killed, uh, uh, had shot their, their friend. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So we're going to go back to the beginning, how this all started. So on Wednesday evening, April 22nd, the friendly 32-year-old Private Miller and his friend, Private Cutter, were sharing drinks in Rose's Saloon with a guy named Edward McGann, uh, a recently retired soldier. Anyway, their conversation turned to the 1st Cavalry in which Miller had served uh, the first of his three enlistments. And overhearing the trio, trio, this gambler, Andrew J. Hunt, kind of an older guy, usually soft-spoken gambler, longtime resident of Walla Walla, he kind of suddenly uh, spoke out, and he said, quote, all the soldiers of the 1st Cavalry were sons of guns. That's now, exactly what he said. may I interrupt you for a moment? And sure. was it a direct quote, sons of guns? Uh, that's the way I've got it written here, Zeb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what he said. So, uh, so Miller quickly responded. He said, quote, I was a 1st Cavalryman. I am one of them. Well, then Miller pushed the gambler aside, saying that he didn't want any trouble. And the gambler said again, quote, you will push me, you son of a gun. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, with that, uh, the gambler pulled the pistol from beneath his coat and shot the trooper in the chest. Oh, well, my. Poor uh, Miller just crumpled to the floor. Well, the city police immediately arrived, and they arrested Hunt. Uh, the following day, uh, County Attorney Blanford swore out a warrant against the gambler, who was uh, then turned over to Sheriff McFarland and transferred to the county jail. So at about 7 p.m., there was a major corper, the post-surgeon. He arrived uh, to inform the sheriff that Miller was barely alive, paralyzed from the chest down, and he was going downhill pretty fast. So the doctor recommended that if Sheriff McFarland intended to obtain a deposition from this dying trooper, he better get it done in a hurry. And so the sheriff, accompanied by the prisoner, a deputy, and a notary public, headed to the Fort Hospital. Uh, returning to the jail with Hunt uh, proved more difficult uh, because the soldiers, uh, they hadn't been able to do anything the night before, but 
That doesn't mean they weren't going to try again to get to this uh, at the shooter. So anyway, Friday afternoon, the 24th, the judge postponed a preliminary hearing. Uh, surprisingly, the townspeople found soldiers on the streets in a kind of a good mood, uh, though they may have been doing this uh, to dispel rumors that they might want to attack the jail. And so seeking to reduce tension, Sheriff McFarland and the county attorney asked Colonel Compton to restrict the entire garrison to the post that night. Well, the colonel said, no, that's not going to work. Uh, there's no way that I can enforce all those men to stay at the fort tonight. So picture this. It's a cool moonlight night, uh, kind of a peaceful time in Walla Walla. The troops had been laying a plan with mili- military precision, and at a given signal, they cut the telephone line connecting the fort with town. Then, as if on a drill field, a column of some 200 soldiers, quickly and without spoken orders, quick-timed it into town, and they basically ran into into town, and they cordoned off the courthouse. A second detachment filed inside the picket fence around around the jail. Other soldiers, armed with carbines, took up stations at street intersections on the corners of the square, and these guards ordered civilian curiosity seekers to keep their distance. Well, all this activity kind of electrified the townspeople who poured out of the saloons, the stores, and the homes to see what was going on. When one group boldly tried to cross the street to the courthouse, the sentries brought their carbines into to ready and said, uh, you may want to consider not coming around here right now. So the citizens backed down. Well, within minutes, the soldiers had secured the courthouse, and about 9 o'clock that night, a separate assault force approached the front door of the jail on the subfloor beneath the main stairs of this uh, bricks courthouse. For the five officers inside the jail, this is the first sign that anything was going wrong when they heard footsteps on the pavement outside, uh, which was quickly followed by loud beating on the door, and a voice commanded the sheriff to open up. They wanted Hunt, and when Sheriff McFarland refused, the soldiers said, well, We'll just blow you up. We've got some dynamite here. Well, Sheriff McFarland was kind of inclined at this point to agree, but Mm -hmm. he had a deputy named George Thomas, and he suggested the deputies hold off the intruders with the Winchesters while Sheriff McFarland and uh, the shooter Hunt make their escape up uh, another stairway to the courthouse. Now, at that time, uh, the soldiers tried to force the door, one of them shouting, quote, We'll kill every son of a gun in the building. Every son of a gun. What's that? <laughs> I said every son of a gun. Yeah, every one of them. <laughs> so the sheriff asked the soldiers to reconsider that Hunt would get a fair trial, uh, but his words had no effect, and just after the guards fell back to the cell block for a desperate defense, the soldiers set off a loud explosion outside and repeated their threat, threat to blow up the courthouse with dynamite. Wow. So they just uh, blew it up outside just to you know, let them know they had it. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. So Sheriff McFarland's nerve failed. He unlocked the heavy door, 
15 or 20 soldiers, some wearing masks, shoved their way in, sticking revolvers in the faces of the deputies. And anyway, the intruders found the deputies. They took their guns and ushered them outside at gunpoint. Several soldiers held uh, uh, Sheriff McFarland by his arms and pushed him ahead into the cell block. The vigilante leader ordered the sheriff to point out the cell that, uh, where Hunt was being held. Well, the soldiers found the keys, opened the heavy wooden door, and dragged the prisoner outside. All the while, uh, Hunt uh, remained kind of quiet, except he was heard to mutter, quote, I guess my time has come. Oh, my. And, uh, yeah, it was. So as the mob emerged from beneath the overarching stairs leading to the main floor of the courthouse, one of the soldiers shoved the gambler into the yard. A gunshot cracked, and Hunt collapsed face down. Dozens of other soldiers immediately ran up and fired their guns either into his body or into the air just for, for effect. And uh, maybe a 100 shots rang out across town. But the incident lasted only a few minutes, and as quickly and as silently as they had assembled, the soldiers vanished into the, into the dark. Now, a few citizens kind of approached the body laying on the courthouse lawn, and bending closer, someone struck a match, and it revealed uh, Hunt's bullet-ridden body, and there was no need to call a doctor at that point. So, meanwhile, aware of the commotion in town, Colonel Compton considered sounding what they call assembly, to conduct a roll call of, of his troops. But strangely enough, uh, he couldn't find any trumpeters to sound uh, the assembly. They couldn't find the bugle? They couldn't find the buglers. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't find anybody. So the bedtime roll call, uh, all of the men were back at the post by that time. Two reporters from the Walla Walla Daily Union came by shortly after uh, and they were unable to locate any enlisted men, all said to be, quote, in bed and not gettable. Ah. <laughs> so they couldn't find anybody to interview. So as Saturday the 25th dawned, men, women, and children congregated on the courthouse lawn to uh, hear the latest version of the previous night's events. And the central attraction was this blood stain on the grass. And noticeably absent were uniformed soldiers, although the streets later that day, townspeople recognized at least 100 troopers dressed in civilian clothes, uh, probably wanting to see what was happening, I guess. Meanwhile, the coroner held an inquest on Hunt's body. The doctor in charge, Dr. Russell, determined the gambler's death had re resulted from no less than 16 bullet wounds, eight or nine which were in the head. At that, some wounds were so close together that Russell couldn't determine how many bullets had actually struck Hunt. So the inquest uh, confirmed the obvious. Uh, Hunt had died, quote, of gunshot wounds by the hands of a mob, supposedly to be soldiers, as they were dressed in Army uniform, but to us unknown. Mm. So the mortician placed Hunt's uh, remains on public display. They had the body buried in the city cemetery because... Members of Walla Walla's gambling establishment took up a collection to cover the expenses. And the post-surgeon, Dr. Kerper, uh, uh, last spoke with Private Miller at about 10 o'clock on Monday morning, uh, the 27th. So he was still alive at this point. I see. But soon thereafter, the soldier drifted into unconsciousness and died. Uh, his funeral with full military honors took place the following afternoon. The 4th Cavalry Band uh, led the procession to the Post Cemetery. They found the bugler, right? 
privates from Miller's troop, okay. the chaplain and the surgeon. Behind the hearse were six pallbearers from Troop D, uh-huh. and another member leading Miller's horse with full equipment with boots reversed in the stirrups. And you've seen this before, Zeb, where mm-hmm. uh, they honor a fallen cowboy or whatever, where they put their boots in the stirrups facing back. Absolutely, yes. So, but the rest of Miller's troop followed, and behind them came the other three companies that rounded out the Walla Walla garrison. And bringing up the rear was a large contingent of uh, townspeople who came to pay their respects. And after brief service, Miller's remains were consigned to the grave, over which the escort fired the traditional volleys. Now, you may wonder, uh, did anything happen? Well, the county attorney, a guy named Blanford, accused Colonel Compton of criminal negligence for not restricting his men to the garrison. Mm Mm-hmm. And feeling among the citizens, however, that the soldiers actually did a good thing, um, even though maybe they shouldn't have done it. <clears throat> but uh, then President Benjamin Harrison uh, ordered a court of inquiry. They had a grand jury. They eventually handed up an indictment against six of the troopers. They were arrested and confined in the county jail. And the jury uh, rendered a verdict of not guilty. For all six men that uh, that were involved, I guess, or the ringleaders, or wow. whatever you want to call them. Wow! So yeah. that's the story of uh, Walla Walla, Washington, the and what happened up there with the, the soldiers. Yeah, and they finally found the bugler. <laughs> yeah, I think they did, and and I guess he found his bugle. <laughs> he he played at the at the funeral for the. For, for the Miller guy that, that got shot. So. You know, I always felt sorry for the bugler in all the Western movies, the John Wayne movies, uh, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Fort Apache, and all that. Here stands this guy, all puckered up, trying to play a bugle when you've got an Indian attack and you're getting shot at with arrows and bullets and everything else. I mean, you talk about a guy that ought to be really getting superior pay. Well, and not only that, but keep in mind, he's also uh, probably riding at a full gallop on his horse, trying to uh, hold the reins and uh, watch where he's going and blow that bugle. Yeah, I mean, how do you carry a tune under those circumstances? <laughs> well, I can't carry a tune no matter what, but, uh, yeah, I've tried to blow a bugle, and I can't even get a squeak out. Oh, my gosh. I often wondered, I was watching a John Wayne movie the other night. It was... Um, uh, Rio Grande, and the bugler was out there tooting that horn and everything, and I thought, that's amazing when you got Indians that are shooting at you, and uh, your life is in jeopardy, and you're out there, how do they do that? Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> uh, it, it, I don't know if they just took somebody that didn't know how to shoot and said, here, blow this bugle. I don't know. I don't know why they couldn't have gone over to Patterson's Electronics and just bought a sound system and played it. Yeah, that's what I'd have had to do. Okay. So, and I, I guarantee if I was on the, uh, the bugler, I'd be way out in front of all the other cowboys. Uh, that depends. If you're going towards the enemy, I'd be way in back trying to squirch out a tune a little bit, if you want, if no, you don't I, mind. I meant heading the off, opposite direction. I see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. History, that was, that was an interesting story, and it took place, you said, in 1891. Yeah. Yep. That wasn't that many years before you were born. No, no, I almost remember it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Doc, thank you. Excellent job. Thank you so much. Right, you have a good day. Dr. History, outstanding. A story about Fort Walla Walla, and I enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.